Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Increasing Awareness and Access to Spinal Muscular Atrophy Therapy, is provided by Prova Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Biogen. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Here's Dr. John Bransima. Hello, and welcome to this CME on Reach MD about spinal muscular atrophy. This is John Bransima speaking. I am the neuromuscular section head at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. By way of introduction, spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA, is a broad range of disorders that all reference degeneration of the nerves, but the most common form, known as 5Q SMA, is characterized primarily by degeneration of anterior horn cells in the spinal cord and the motor nuclei in the lower brainstem. There does not tend to be an involvement of the brain in this disorder, and most patients have normal intelligence. The way that SMA disorders in their most common form tend to present is with diffuse symmetric proximal weakness that it's more pronounced in the lower limbs than in the upper limbs. Deep tendon reflexes tend to be unobtainable or at most markedly decreased. And in the more severe forms, you also see bulbar involvement with progressive respiratory insufficiency and also difficulties with speech and swallowing. The incidence of the most common form is about 1 in 10,000 live births, and there is a range of severity depending on how old the patient is when they present with symptoms, ranging from the most severe form presenting immediately at birth to the most common form presenting in infancy before patients reach the milestone of sitting, and then there are sitters and walkers with SMA. The inheritance pattern is important to understand related to the genetics. In terms of the most common form, all patients have non-functional SMN1 protein. This is normally due to a deletion of part or all of SMN1 and including exon 7 within that gene. So both alleles will have non-functional SMN1 gene. But the SMN2 gene is also on the same chromosome, chromosome 5, uh, and is similar to SMN1 with only a few key nucleotide differences. One of those nucleotide differences near exon 7 causes SMN2 not to be able to make functional survival motor neuron or SMN protein as efficiently as SMN1 does. And so as a patient with SMA is dependent on the number of copies of SMN2 that they have for SMN protein, each of those copies is able to make about 10% of the amount of SMN protein that the SMN1 gene has. And it tends to be that those who have more copies of SMN2 will present later in life with symptoms that are less severe and less rapidly progressive, whereas those who have fewer copies of SMN2 uh, tend to present earlier on. However, this rule does get violated, and there are patients who have more copies that present more severely and vice versa, likely due to other genetic modifiers. It's very important to understand this difference between the SMN1 and SMN2 genes when thinking about currently available therapies for SMA that target this SMN deficiency as the hallmark of the disease. Let's next discuss the burden of disease in SMA. In the most severe form, patients present immediately at birth. This is traditionally in the past known as type 0 or now sometimes classified as the most severe form of type 1 SMA. Most of these babies will require respiratory support immediately at birth uh, and have significant limb weakness. 
this phenotype is unfortunately very severe and is usually life-limiting within the first few months of age. This is also extremely rare. The most incident form of SMA, about two-thirds of cases, is type 1 SMA in the natural history, which is a presentation of symptoms before six months of age or reaching the milestone of sitting. So the uh, way these patients were defined is that they never achieved the ability to sit independently. This form is rapidly progressive in most patients and almost universally leads to the need for respiratory support and nutrition support before two years of age. If these are not supported, they would have a high mortality within the first couple of years of life. Um, but with full breathing and respiratory support, there can be a much longer lifespan into adulthood for some patients. Type 2 SMA is defined by sitting but never walking or standing independently. These patients tend to present between 6 and 18 months of age and have a more slowly progressive weakness, but still involving respiratory support and some element of nutritional deficiency or inability to fully eat on their own in most patients, although some avoid reaching this milestone. Survivorship is into adulthood for patients with good supportive care in the most in most patients and to middle age in several patients with standard of care. Type 3 SMA patients walk but may lose that ability over time uh, due to the progressive nature of the disease. These patients um, sometimes do not have any need for respiratory support, although some may, and uh, it has a normal life expectancy. And then there's a type 4 SMA that presents in adulthood, again with normal lifespan and usually just limb weakness without any bubble respiratory or issues with scoliosis. In terms of the natural history of SMA, the approach has always been optimizing supportive care. And so this would be working with an interdisciplinary care team that includes rehab specialists such as physical and occupational therapists, um, as well as orthopedic specialists to maximize function in the limbs and minimize contracture and scoliosis, which can be limiting mechanically and also can affect respiration in patients who have respiratory insufficiency. In the most severe forms, involvement of a pulmonologist is key to both prophylactically try to avoid respiratory deterioration and also uh, optimize respiratory support. And there can also be GI manifestations of the disorder where there's issues with motility and also reflux um, that need specialized management uh, to optimize nutrition status and minimize symptoms. In today's world, we now have some targeted treatments that are available in the clinic and also some treatments that have been in research trials that are maybe on the horizon. The first medication that was approved for SMA is nusinersen. Uh, nusinersen was approved in December of 2016 for the treatment of all forms of SMA, and there have now been um, thousands of patients uh, treated around the world with this approach. Uh, this approach works on the SMN2 gene to increase SMN protein expression by modifying the transcription and translation of that gene to make it more likely to make fully functional SMN protein. It does require intrathecal delivery, and there is a loading phase of two months of dosing of four doses over two months, followed by a maintenance dose every four months for life. 
The other approved therapy since just May of 2019 is uh, avaparvavec, which is a gene transfer therapy. Uh, this uses a viral vector delivered intravenously in the approved form to patients with SMA under two years of age as per the label in the United States. Um, and this approach seeks to deliver a functional SMN gene that has been self-modified to promote itself um, and express SMN protein in the nucleus of the cell. The gene does not integrate into the genome of the host. It is independent in the nucleus of the cell and self-expressing for SMN protein. And so those cells that are transfected will express SMN protein, which corrects the deficiency. Um, the virus is particularly trophic for motor neurons and so does tend to target the roots of the nerves, which is the main pathologic area in SMA. And the motor neurons are non-dividing, so the hope is that those that are transfected will have expression for the lifetime of the cell. Both approaches are also costly medications and require um, a significant amount of advocacy in terms of peer-to-peer -peer review and authorization within the United States access to care. Determining the cost of the access to these treatments has many facets to it, but in terms of the individual cost of the medication itself. In terms of nusinersen, the price tag in the United States has been roughly $125,000 a dose, which translates to almost a million dollars in the first year and almost half a million dollars in subsequent years for life related to the medication. Also considering the costs of administration relative to the procedure, and um, the effects on the life of the patient and family in terms of returning to care um, that frequently. Um, in terms of gene transfer therapy, the current uh, price tag is just over $2 million for the single administration of an IV dose of that medication. Um, and there is also associated monitoring that's quite intensive for the first couple of months um, related to that treatment. But in most care contexts, this is done outpatient at the current time. Other than those two approved therapies, there is also other approaches that seek to modify SMN2 gene expression, uh, known as Rizdaplam and Branaplam, that are in research trials. Both of these are oral agents that are delivered via swallowing or G-tube suspensions that increase SMN expression by modifying the transcription in, uh, of the, uh, the SMN2 gene. And then there are approaches that also seek to optimize the function beyond the nerve and motor neuron or the genetics of the disease. So one approach that was tried recently is uh, troponin activation, known as reldeceptive. Um, this approach seeks to optimize muscle contraction in response to the signal from the nerve and has been through a phase two study. Um, there's also an ongoing trial at the moment uh, using myostatin inhibition as an approach to optimize muscle function. 
once we have a patient identified pre-symptomatically, we now have to make a decision between the two available approaches, nusinersen and gene transfer or onisemnagene abaparvivec for patients in terms of what might be the optimal approach to deliver at the time. There are many factors to consider in terms of the clinically available as well as those that are still in research trial uh, medications. Um, the research trials themselves were restricted to a very specific population um, in terms of the inclusion criteria, looking for a relatively functional group of patients who were still symptomatic in the pivotal trials, such as the type 1 onset in DEER study in Nusinersen or a STRIVE study in uh, gene transfer. But there were also pre-symptomatic arms as well as arms with patients who were presenting later with less severe symptoms. Um, the struggle is that the data for the pre-symptomatic patients is still actively being collected, um, and the data in older patients is still actively being collected at this time. And also, uh, there is very minimal data in populations that are more severely affected or denervated and how they might uh, be expected to respond to these treatments. And so this became a concern early on in the use of nusinersen treatment related to whether um, there would be a detectable response in such patients in terms of efficacy, but also whether there might be differences in the tolerability of the medication in those patients since they hadn't been researched. In terms of tolerability, both available approaches now tend to be relatively well tolerated. Nusinersen in the research trials in the more severe phenotype of the type 1 onset SMA did show some concerns for respiratory infection increase as well as constipation, and there is safety monitoring required related to possibility for thrombocytopenia as well as renal injury, um, needing the monitoring of urine protein. In terms of gene transfer therapy, the main concern is liver injury with elevated transaminases requiring the use of steroids uh, around the time of dosing. And also there has been some thrombocytopenia seen in those patients as well. Neither of the approaches, nusinersen nor gene transfer, had any significant bleeding events related to the thrombocytopenia in the research trials. And there will likely be other safety issues identified related to the other approaches that are still actively in research trial. But it's very important to remember for patients that are treated pre-symptomatically or those who are symptomatic when they start dosing that none of these patients are a complete cure for the disease. And it's still very important to maintain a connection with a specialized care center that continues to use optimized interdisciplinary care to maximize function and monitor for potential complications of living with SMA. In conclusion, we're really currently in a novel age in terms of the approaches to SMA care where we have exciting opportunities to dramatically impact the phenotype of SMA for the first time. Some questions that still arise are what the role of SMN protein is in tissues outside the motor neuron may be, whether other areas of the body that are SMN deficient may show manifestations of that over time if we are correcting the primary aspect of the phenotype in terms of degeneration of motor neurons. And this is something that will require further research in the future. It's also possible that combination approaches may be explored in terms of using 
different targeted treatments, both genetically as well as phenotype-driven, to truly optimize the function of an individual depending on when they first developed symptoms, if they ever did, if they were identified pre-symptomatically as living with SMA, and also how those symptoms change over time. But it's important to remember that this is a severe disease and does tend to have many aspects that impact the life of people living with it significantly, as well as their caregivers. And the interdisciplinary care teams that we are a part of in the clinic are part of the support that these families and patients require. But there are many other organizations that are out there to provide resources, support, networking, and education, and advocacy related to this disease. And you can look at the resources provided on the slide for further information, both for providers as well as for those affected by SMA in the community. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Dr. John Bransima for CME on Reach MD. You have been listening to CME on Reach MD. This activity is sponsored by Prova Education and supported by an educational grant from Biogen. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com/prova. Thank you for listening.